if you watch that video like I did, there are some things that just resonate with you probably and felt good, felt right. This is the way it's supposed to be. Other things maybe felt uncomfortable and maybe questioned. What, I don't know that I agree with, with all of that. But what I want to do with you today is I want to ask you a basic question, and then I want to take you through a story that's a lot of fun to tell your friends that we talked about today. Um, I'll tell you why in just a few minutes, but um, I want to ask the basic question of, do you see? One of my favorite verses in Scripture is 1 Peter 2.9, and it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. As we get started today, I just want you to get your minds thinking. I know it's a little chilly in here. I'm not sure if our heat is fully working in this room. Um, you're, if you've got kids here, they're warm. All their rooms are warm, but it's a little chilly, so your brain may be a little slow if uh, you're like me. But uh, let me ask you, what do you find excellent about God? And I'd like to hear what, what you'd like to say. What do you find excellent about God? Just, just throw them out. Faithfulness? Peace? What else? Forgiving? Same time, yes. Love? What else? What do you find excellent about God? Just? You know, as we read Scripture at times, and a lot of what what Craig is talking about in this video is where I've been spending some of my own personal time over the last year, and I've shared some of that with you over the year, but a lot of my thinking is in this very direction, and that is that Jesus is wonderful. He is great. We love to sing about him, but Jesus is dangerous. In order to know him and follow him, we cannot simply go and be ourselves. There is something about us that must change, that is compelled to change. And when he truly helps us to see who he is, who God is, and as a result, how the world around us truly is operating, it forces us to make some decisions about, do I really love and believe in that Jesus? A lot of times we think of Jesus as our escape plan. We think of Jesus as the way that we get to heaven. And those are all very good things. However, is he changing us? Is he drawing us somewhere? Are we going out and proclaiming these excellencies into a world? Or do we even talk about Jesus that much? So as I I share some of these things with you today, I don't share them with you as an expert Um, who is sharing it with people who don't know how to do this. I'm sharing with you as a fellow person who knows they don't do it enough and who is drawn to continue to to do it more. Over the last few months, it may have been a little uncomfortable being in some of our services and some of our sermons because we have been in an intentional path and an intentional direction to deconstruct some of the deeply held traditions and beliefs that we've had Um, about being the church. And we've done that for a number of reasons. Deconstruction is never fun and enjoyable because deconstruction takes that which we have held as true and as solid and as something we can trust in, and it begins to erode that away. And if that has happened for you and some of your thoughts and beliefs about Christianity 
its practice and its tradition through how it has developed over the last 2,000 years, then I, 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 you are exactly where I want you to be. And the reason that we want to deconstruct some of these things is I, I want you to have a better understanding of how easily, how easily a heart focused on following Christ can be corrupted by the cares of this world. And when the right people begin to corrupt that message, then it has long-lasting effects, and some that we are still experiencing thousands of years later. So what we have to do when we begin to deconstruct some of the traditions that maybe we just accepted because others have just said this is what is true, once we begin to deconstruct those things, then that is the point that we begin to reconstruct, well, who is Jesus really, and what does it really look like to follow him? And so I hope in this uncomfortable last few months that we've had together, I hope that it is not just taking you to a place of, well, I'm not sure what we're going to talk about next, but instead it is taking you to a place of saying, I need to find who the real, authentic, true Jesus is, and that's the person I want to know. And so as we do that, in this coming year, I believe God is calling us to do some things differently than we've done in the past. We started journeying 10 years ago. We started with a goal to be different from all the other churches in town. Not that we were better and not that they were bad. Just different because we wanted to reach a group of people that were different. That wouldn't walk into just any church. And over the last 10 years, as I've told some of my friends, we have made more mistakes than we've done right. Do any of you ever live your lives that way? You look back and you're like, you know what, we, we're absolutely certain. My, my, my family has a saying, my dad and I don't say this, but my family says this about us, that uh, we may not be right, but we are never in doubt. <laughs> and if you want to unpack that, dad and I tend to believe we're right about stuff. And then it's always fun when we disagree in the house. But the rest of the family says, you know, you may not be right, but you're never in doubt. And so we joke about that. But One of the things that I look back on, and as I follow Christ, he shows many times the mistakes that we've made in a call to make better choices in the future. And so as we started our church, it was a different time. Today in 2018 is a different time than it was in 2008. Culture has shifted. People are changing the way that we understand Christianity is, has not necessarily changed in that the gospel is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. However, the way we approach it has changed. The way the church is viewed in the world has changed. In 10 very short years, it has changed. But 10 years ago, our hope was to direct something that was a little bit different. And so we held very tightly to the reins of the things that we did. But as we study through Scripture, and and what our heart has always been is that we would be a community that each individual hears from God and adds into the community. But we're in a culture that you come to hear what God has said to me, and then the church is structured in such a way that the leaders of the church determine how everything in the church is going to go, and then that's where the church goes. And if people are on top of that, and they like that, and they like the direction it's going, then they will show up, and they will come and go along with us. And if they don't, then they'll go somewhere else, or they won't go anywhere at all. But that is not the pattern of the church in Scripture. 
The pattern of the church in Scripture is that we are one body dependent upon one another. Now, for some of you, the fact that you depend on me, that's an exciting concept. For many of you, it's probably not so exciting, right? You all have those family members? They're part of the family, and you rely on them, but you're always just a little nervous so they're going to fly off the handle. They're not quite right in the head. That's what my family says about me sometimes. You'll own that? Yeah. We got several of those in here. Praise the Lord. In this coming year, I believe what God is calling us to is not a program. It is not a way of doing worship differently. It is not a Bible study or a teaching. It is an an action as a community. And in that action as a community, what I believe is that he's calling on us to hear him as a community and follow him in new and sometimes old ways that we have ceased following him in. And so what I want to share with you today is the story of Balaam. Now, Balaam's a fun story because the whole story is about Balaam and his ass. So if you want to go tell your friends at school what we talked about in church, just don't tell them I'm a cussing preacher because that's the way Scripture describes him. But the interesting thing about Balaam, and the reason I wanted to share this with you today is because Balaam was a guy who could see God clearly. And yet, in the midst of one of the most important moments of his life, he was as blind as could be. One of the things that I want to encourage us in is that Jesus is someone who radically changes people. I think one of the most interesting things that we're seeing right now on, a, on the worldwide stage is what's happening in Iran. I'm sure you're watching. You've heard it on the news. Protests that are going on. Lots of questions about what's really happening in Iran. Who's really in control? What are their real motives? What's really going on with the protests? But an amazing thing is happening in Iran right now, and that is that Muslims are coming to know Christ in droves. In one of the most war-torn countries in our, in our world today. When we look at Iran and what they're doing, when we look at Iran and what their motives are, we can't really clearly understand that. But when we see what's happening in Syria, what's happening with Russia, what's happening in the rest of the Middle East, the questions and fears of Israel, what we see is a group of people who have said we are looking for hope And they have found that there is not life in the lives that they've been living. And the thing about Jesus is that he can go into those arenas. He can go into those parts of the world. And people that had no desire to know him are in a moment curious. And as scripture tells us, all it takes is for someone to show them the way. I love what Scott talked about last week. I told him I thought it was one of the best sermons I've ever heard him preach. He's actually at World of Wills holding a, a chapel service right now, this morning. He, that's one of his ministries that he does outside of Journey. And I love his, his discussion of bringing us back to following the way, which is the way Christianity was described in the first century. It was the way, and when Jesus would be asked about his followers, they were described as followers of the way. But there is a way in which to follow, and it begins with a clear understanding of the gospel. And in Iran right now, it is going like wildfire across the country. Where will it go? We don't know. We've seen through our own study here at Journey 
that whenever Christianity enters into the political mix, incredibly large things happen in those nations. Either they begin to shut it down or it begins to revolutionize who they are. And it remains to be seen where that's going to go. I love that when we look at Jesus, we see Jesus as a revolutionary, a reformer. When we look at Jesus, he is not simply the one sitting in the corner. And I loved Craig's description of Jesus in a cage. We put him in a cage because there's something in us that's just a little afraid that we will hear what he wants to say, and he will say something to the effect of, it is time for a move. And most of us don't like to move, right? The Murphys are moving right now. Do you all like moving? It's not, you do. Okay, so you're getting a new house. So you've completely ruined my sermon illustration. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I hate moving. And the reality is that most of us, what we want to be told is that our initial beliefs and assumptions are true so that whatever we have wanted to believe was true is true in fact scripture tells us that from the moment that jesus died on the cross and he rose again from that moment until he returns again there will be a massive shift among people that will continue to want to believe what makes them feel good and we enter today into the marketing age where many of us believe what we believe, not because we sought it out ourselves, but because someone told us that's what we're supposed to believe. And while we may come to some good, solid, foundational beliefs, that's not where we find Jesus. We find Jesus when we begin to seek him with all our hearts. So I want to tell you the story of Balaam. I like the story of Balaam. It's it's a fun story, but when you look at the context of what's happening, Balaam is in some very dangerous territory. Just to give you some background, Balaam is what they would refer to as a diviner, a divisionist. And what he would do is they would call upon him and he would speak for God. It was the same function and role that later in the nation of Israel that the prophet would fill this particular person could go and see God and hear from God and could speak. And not only would he speak when he would speak a blessing or a curse, whatever he spoke a blessing on flourished and was blessed. And whatever he spoke a curse on was cursed. And so he would very much make a living based on people coming and asking him to give them a word from God in favor of themselves. You would never go and say, God, would you please destroy everything I have? That's what I want. I want you to destroy everything I have. That's typically not what he's hired to do. Typically, you hire a woman to come and say, hey, you know what, God? God's going to bless this, and you're going to do well. You're sick. You're going to be healed. You're struggling financially. You're going to be successful, and you're going to be wealthy. That's people would hire him in order to do that. But what we see in Balaam is a guy who has unique access to God, but someone that we're going to find is blind to what God is actually trying to tell him. If we look in, in the book of Numbers, chapter 22, this is right at the time the nation of Israel, the Hebrews, as they're referred to at the time, have been restored out of Egypt. They have been trudging around in the desert for 40 years. God gave them an opportunity, if you'll remember, to go into the promised land that he promised them if they would just trust him and go in and take the land. 
They sent in some spies. The spies said, you know, this is too hard. It's too difficult. We'll never make it. And he didn't trust God when he said now is the time. And so God judged them and instead said, okay, now none of you are going to make it in to the promised land. Instead, your children will. So you'll just continue to walk in the desert until that time. Well, the story of Balaam comes right at the time where this is beginning to be realized. Now, the children of those uh, slaves are now going out and they are beginning to conquer some of the other lands leading up to the area in which God has told them, places that they would go and live and that they would be able to thrive. And as they went, one particular group decides to call on Balaam because they've become afraid of the Hebrews. Now keep in mind, even as they were traveling through the desert, we're not talking about a few thousand. We're talking about hundreds of thousands, and over 40 years, that number grew to millions. We're not talking about a small little tribe of people wandering in the desert. Whenever we look at Moses and we look at the the stories of Moses trying to judge all of the people, you've got to understand he's trying to judge what we would consider a a small to to mid-sized city. That's the people that he was moving for 40 years around the desert, growing as they continued to have children. And so as Balaam is among, out doing his own business, the Hebrews have already conquered the Amorites. And there's a great story of them conquering King Og, which is a fun name to say. But as they did that, they, t- they rolled right up to a group of Moabites in the land of Moab. And the kings of that group of people were very nervous because this incredibly large group of nomads was following through, was now at their doorstep, had just conquered the Amorites, and they were in fear that they were going to be conquered themselves. That's where Balaam enters into the story. So Numbers chapter 22, verse 1, Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. And Balak, remember that name, Balak the son of Zippor saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was in great dread of the people because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel, and Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now look up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak the son of Zippor, who was the king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Baor, at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the people of Ammah, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So they know who Balaam is. They know that Balaam has a track record of whatever he blesses is blessed, whatever he curses is cursed, and they're willing to pay him lots and lots of money. Now, the king himself has not come out to see Balaam yet. The king himself has sent just some lower people to go out and offer him some money to come do this thing. And so Balaam has this interesting problem, and here's the problem that Balaam had. Balaam received all of his power and his wisdom from God, but God did not want to curse the people that Balak wanted to hire him to curse. So he's got a problem. The problem is he's got an opportunity, and he has God. 
and the opportunity looks good. This is how I make a living. But he must first serve God. And this is where we see what happens in this situation. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand. And they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you. As the Lord speaks to me, so the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Verse 9, God came to Balaam. Now, there are some significant things to remember in this story as we go through it. One is this, God comes to Balaam. As we read through this story, I want you to put yourself in Balaam's position in this sense. God wants to speak to you. Not just speak to you through others. God wants to speak to you. I want you just for a moment to stop and reflect on the fact that God may be trying to tell you something right now. Does that inspire in us excitement or fear or worry? Or maybe we just don't believe because we haven't experienced God coming to us like he came to Balaam? God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. It covers the face of the earth, because they were, it's a huge group of people. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people for they are blessed. Again, Balaam's got a problem. This is his job. And now God is telling him not to do it. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the, prince, the princes of Balak, Go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. <coughs> Excuse me. Once again, Balak sent princes more in number and more honorable than these. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing hinder you from coming to me. For I will surely do you great honor, and whatever you say to me, I will do. Come curse the people for me. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me this house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. So you too, please stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. This is kind of like when one of my younger children come to me or older ones and ask me a question, right? Emma's scared of what I'm going to say. I give them one answer and they go to, to mom and ask her to get a different answer. Now, you guys don't do that anymore, do you? No, no, yeah. It doesn't work out well when that happens in our house. But that's exactly what is happening here. If you're a parent and you have young children, then you know exactly how this feels. Dad, I'd really like to go do this, blah, 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 blah. No, can't do it. Uh, Mom, can I go? That's exactly what's happening. How many times in your experience of seeing what God does in Scripture does God come back and say, you know what, you've asked me twice now. Okay, we can do it this time. How many times has he done that? It doesn't happen very often, right? But yet that's what Balaam is doing. He's coming back and he's saying, oh, they've they've sweetened the pot. There's more money. And now look at all these. They're they're starting to send their top people now. 
I'm feeling very important at this moment. You just hang out here. Let me go talk to God. It's an interesting conversation Balaam chooses to have with God. He's not a Hebrew. We, we don't really know where Balaam's from. Balaam is one of the outskirts of this area in which all of this is happening. But he is not from anything that we know about him, someone who is traveling with the Hebrews. He has his own home, his own place. Balaam's a bit of a mystery. And even some scholars would say some of the story of Balaam may even be not just as much history as it is poetry. Regardless, it tells us a story of a man who seeks to see God. But that is a good question. And as we go back and read through these things, as you begin to get into the context of all of these characters, the context can very much change the way we see the whole story. But good question. Good question. Um, verse 16, they came to Balaam and said, thus says, verse 19, so you too please stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if the, man, if the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. Then we get this interesting verse, verse 22. It says, but God's anger was kindled because he went. Now, isn't that an interesting little story change right here? Balaam goes to God. God says, have nothing to do with them. They sweeten the pot. Balaam goes back and says, you know what, God? Uh, I just wanted to talk about this again because, you know, they really sweeten the pot over here. And this time God says, you know what? You know what? Go on with them. And yet in the very next verse, it says God is angry with them, to which we would probably respond, okay, so God, you said to go. Why are you mad? And let me just ask you, what do you think led to God's anger at Balaam at this moment? What do you think? Wanted him to change his mind. Any other thoughts? Because he wanted to do it. Yeah. You all don't do that, do you? I do it all the time. I do it all the time. But God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Now, he was riding on the donkey, and his two servants were with him. Now, interesting thing is if we read through this story, this donkey is not like it's just some animal that Balaam went out and got. You need to, to see the history. They are friends. And if you have a pet, you, is anybody having pets that you would say are friends? Some of you are saying, they're not my friends, they're my children. You know that? I know people that your pets are your children, and that's okay. The, this donkey has been with Balaam his whole life. They have traveled together numerous, countless times. And you typically don't take the same animal over and over and over again unless that animal has served you well. If it's a problem, then you typically go find someone else to take that responsibility. So he's riding the donkey, and his two servants were with him. God is angry. Is it possible that God has changed his mind from what you know about Scripture? Is it possible that God has changed his mind about wanting the Israelites to be blessed? Is it possible? And you know that because you know the rest of the story. You've read the rest of the story, but Balaam at this point, he doesn't really know. He sees what's going on, but he doesn't really know what the big plan is. 
In other words, he sees a very small sliver of the reality in which he finds himself. But God sees with the whole picture. Balaam has to choose to see the way God's going to see or he will miss it all. And so what God has done is said, Balaam, will you just come on and we'll see what happens. But I have not changed my mind. But what would have happened if Balaam would have just listened to God the first time? Well, we wouldn't have this great story. But he also wouldn't have God angry with him. The truth is that you and I, we are often tempted to ignore what God has said in an attempt to get what God doesn't want us to have. We do this a lot. I do this a lot. We sometimes do this through prayer. God, I'm just praying for this again. I'm just asking again. You said if I just ask that you'll give, so I'm asking. And yet many times what God wants us to see is that that thing which we are asking for is not good in God's eyes. And he only wants to give us what's good in God's eyes. Sometimes my children will ask me, I use my children's examples because I don't have a lot of other people asking me for a lot of things. But I have to ask myself, is this good for them? Is this good for them? Now, sometimes they're okay with that, and sometimes they're not. Just like sometimes when my parents would say no to me, I was okay with it, and sometimes I wasn't. Sometimes I would ask over and over and over again. There are times that we will try to get God to give us something that he never intends for us to have. I read a quote this week from Tim Keller. I thought it was so good. It just, it's one of those things that I just kind of stopped in my tracks and thought, oh, wow, that is so good. He said, don't confuse your agenda for God with faith in God. Now, we all have agendas for God, and we call that humanity. We are human. We all struggle within ourselves to want to form the world in the way that it elevates us, honors us. We get what we want. We get the lives that we want. And much of our marketing today is about giving you what you want. It's all about you. We're focused on you. We're going to give you what you want. You're the king of your own castle. And often what we tend to do is we take that mindset into our own lives. We form agendas for God. And if I'm honest, I've now been in ministry for over 20 years. As I look back, and I'm guessing in 20 more years, I'll look back even now on this time. And there have been times where I thought I was having faith in God, but in all honesty, I had an agenda for God. The ability to see past those agendas and to be able to see God for who he is is a gift that he wants each of us to have. So don't confuse your agenda for God with for faith in God. Continuing the story, verse 22, And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road. So remember, at this point, he's going. He's told... All the princes of Balak, you know what, hang out here. I'm going to go pray and see what God wants me to say. What we do see in Balaam is we do see a commitment to honoring God. Because he says, I can only communicate to you what God has told me. Now that's important because we're not talking about somebody who's just out for a little walk. We're talking about two enormous nations that are about to go to war with each other. Somebody's going to die. Somebody's going to be in power, and somebody's going to be out of power. Those are the stakes in which Balaam has been brought in. They're asking him to ensure that they win. 
But Balaam, in his understanding of who God is, says, I will only speak to you what God has spoken to me. Now that takes courage, and that takes faith. And so as he goes, guys, the verse we read before says that God was going to be his adversary. And this is the way it happens. Verse 23, the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And how did Balaam respond? And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. So get, get the picture of this. Balaam is the seer. But Balaam can't see the angel of the Lord. The donkey does. And so the donkey, in seeing the angel of the Lord with the sword drawn, does what any of us would have done, and they go the other way. (laughs) And in that moment, because he couldn't see, he did everything he could to correct the donkey back on track to go where he wanted to go, which is where God was not going to let him. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. What's going on? Remember, he's been with this donkey his entire life and has always served him well. What's going on? Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled. And he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. Story gets weirder. And she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, How are you talking? Is actually not what Balaam says. Not what Balaam says. What I would be saying. All right. Because... And Balaam said to the donkey, because you have made a fool of me, I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, no. And you can just hear it in his voice. Can't you see anything? Can't you see the angel? And the truth is that he couldn't. Many of us live our lives like Balaam on this donkey. God directing us to where he wants us to go. But in our anger, we try to force him to take us where we personally want to be. Verse 31. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you, because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. There are times that when we are trying to force God to give us what we want, that he's saving us from ourselves. And in this particular case, had the donkey continued, even though he was struck by Balaam, Balaam would be dead. 
because the angel would have killed him and spared the donkey, interestingly enough. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now, therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. As I read this story, the story actually gets even more interesting. We're not going to read any more of it this morning, but he actually goes with them. (laughs) And he tells them, I'm only going to say what God wants me to say. And so three different times they call on him to curse. And he says, I'll go talk to God. And when he comes back, instead of cursing the Israelites, he blesses them, which really ticks Zadok off. I mean, he's really ticked off at or Balak, not Zadok. I'm getting my, my figures mixed up. Balak is really ticked off at this point. And so at the third one, he finally goes and he says again a blessing and they send him away. Now, there are a few things I want to take from this story that I think are applicable to where I think we as a church need to go in the next year. One, there is not greater travesty for the follower of Jesus than for God to be speaking and that we don't hear it or see it. Hearing God's voice is life for us. There are so many people that go through their life attending church, serving, giving, trying to live out what they're taught, and yet never in their lives feel that God has spoken to them. I'm not so much talking about the experience of an audible voice coming out of something like a donkey or wherever else. But if you have never heard God speak to you, you are missing what God wants to do in your life. As we look through Scripture at how the church is intended to demonstrate our relationship with Christ, he has said, you will lean on each other. You will need each other. In fact, you are going to do all kinds of things with each other. And in, the very, in those first few days uh, following Pentecost, when the apostles begin to speak through the Holy Spirit and the church really begins forming in Jerusalem, it says they're spending all their time together. Now, we have intentionally said we don't want you to spend all your time with us because if we're all here together in this room, it's like the apostles in the upper room. You've got to be dispersed into the world so that people who don't know Christ can hear and see Christ so they can have him in their own life. But many of us As a community, what we need to do to function as the church functions in the New Testament is we have to hear from God as individuals and bring it back into the community. It's where we lean on each other. Now, the way churches are structured today in America, I remember the first time I interviewed for a full-time position as a pastor, I was, oh, I don't know, 28. I'm not 28 anymore. But I was 28 at the time, and they said, we just need a CEO to come in here and take care of things and make, make everything work right. And I remember thinking, that's, that's, I can do that. I can be a CEO. That sounds good. I like the sound of CEO. That sounds good. I, that sounds good. And the way many churches are structured is that the hired help come in and determine everything that's going to happen in the church. And, and to be honest, some of what we did early on in the beginning of Journey, that's exactly what we did because we wanted to ensure that the church was headed in a direction. Ten years later, we're in a different place. We're in a different culture. When we look at spiritual gifts, one of the things we see about spiritual gifts is that we are all different body parts that make the body work correctly when we work together. 
Part of that working together means we as individuals have to hear from God and then we have to contribute to the community so that the whole community functions in the way God wants them to function. And so what we're going to be asking of you in these coming weeks is we're going to be doing some interviews and we're going to be doing some things. If you're already in a small group, in your small groups, we're going to be asking some specific questions about what is God saying to you. In addition to asking what God is saying to you, we're going to be asking you another very specific question, and that is, that is this. When you feel most, when you're at journey, when you feel most like we are operating the way we are supposed to, when you experience God the most, what is happening? Now, for every person in this room, that may be a different answer, and that's okay. That's okay. But as a community, our goal is that we care for one another, we serve one another, we help one another, we speak into each other's lives. And one of the conversations Scott and I have had several times over these last few months is we have seen through the years of Journey's existence, we have been able to see patterns shifting of those who call Journey home. And one of the patterns that we are so excited about that we see now is that it feels as never before in our church. While we are not a large church, it feels like never before that many of you that call Journey home are becoming and melding more as a family every day. Where you talk to each other, the way sometimes we have to run you out of here on Sundays, the, the time you spend with each other outside of these walls, the care that you have, that you give when you know someone's sick or hurting or when you celebrate because something's gone well, we see that growing more and more even if our numbers are not growing exponentially. And we want to take that into the next step by asking you, what do you see God doing among us? What do you hear God saying to you? Because the interesting thing is in the way that we structure churches, the pastor is the one who speaks and the one who runs things and the one who organizes things. But in Scripture, the community does that together. And as we move into that level of community, we're inviting you to come alongside of us and to do just that. There is no greater travesty for a follower of Jesus than for God to be speaking, and we do not hear or see it. Sometimes we don't speak what we are seeing because we're never asked. And so we are asking. I believe that the reason that God was upset with Balaam was for a couple of reasons. I believe one was because Balaam was not listening. God was telling him, and he had a clear word from God, but he was not listening. But another that I think is very true and is very applicable to not only Balaam's life, but to our own, is that God was teaching Balaam to follow his instructions because God had plans if Balaam would listen. God was teaching him to listen and obey. As followers of Jesus, those are some of the most crucial steps to seeing him work in our lives, where he's not just a historical figure, but he's alive and well now in the way that we live every day. God wants you to know him. He wants you to hear him much more than simply do things for him. And sometimes in the church, that's what we fall prey to. 
I, I show up. I do what I'm supposed to do. I, I give what I'm supposed to give. I serve what I'm supposed to serve. But God wants more than that. God wants to hear from him, to walk with him, to see him at work, to join him in what he is doing for those of you who are in our Experiencing God group these last few weeks. He was teaching Balaam something, and he's trying to teach us something, that we can have much more than simply doing things for him. It's when we're truly able to see and hear God that we even know what we should really do. Let me ask you these questions. Are you a Balaam? Are you seeing, but you're not seeing? Are you experiencing things, but you nothing seems like it's a God-sized thing? Doesn't really feel like this is God? This is something I'm just rattling around in my head. Are you going about your life and you are controlled by your schedule? I know that I, I fall victim to this all the time. I, I just, I know what I got to do. I just got to get through my day and get all my stuff done. Does anybody else live that way? It's tough. It is tough to live that way. And it is discouraging because we are not a people made to live that way. But we function in a world that wants us to, to work that way. God wanted us to be contemplative. God wanted us to stop and to look. God wanted us to see the angel with the sword in the middle of the road. God wanted us to listen for him and to see his hand at work. God wanted us to seek and search for him in everything that we do. And many times what we do in trying to provide for our families and just trying to get through the things that are put on our plate that we've got to get through in the day is we miss all those opportunities to seek God because it is not in the midst of busyness that we see him. It's in the midst of quiet and meditation time with his word when you're not just racing to get through because you said you committed to reading god's word this year and for your new year's resolutions and i'm gonna by golly i'm reading this god we've all gone through our responsibilities that we feel that we have to god in that way i'm doing it because i said i would do it i'm supposed to do it god wants me to do it but are we gleaning from god what he wants us to receive Are you a Balaam seeing but not seeing? Or are you a Balak with an agenda for God but not a heart turned or tuned to God? Two different characters. Balak wasn't concerned with what God wanted. Balak was concerned with what Balak wanted. Sometimes I function as a Balaam and sometimes I function as a Balak. But it's the moments that I truly see and hear God that makes everything worth living for. As we look at Balaam's life, I do think he has some redeeming values or qualities, even though he's often characterized as a joke because his donkey could see and he couldn't. But Balaam was sensitive to God speaking. He listened for God. He could hear God more than others could, even if he did not always follow through with what he saw and heard. Another thing we see with Balaam is that Balaam, in a moment when faced with the truth of his sin, was repentant. He was humble. We also see with Balaam that he had great courage. 
Because by blessing the Israelites, while he's in the midst of the princes and the king of Moab himself, he refused to bow to what they were asking of him. Instead, he followed through with what God had told him. So even in this story, where it's a fun story with his donkey, we see Balaam as somebody who would be as admired as any other person in Scripture other than Jesus. As we enter into a new year as a church, I hope you will eagerly seek to hear from God so that you can share it with those around you. If you've never entered into a a time of your life, it doesn't matter if it's a new year or not, but if you've never entered into a season of saying, God, I just want to hear you. Whatever it is, I want to hear you. Whatever you're going to tell me, that's what I want to hear. And I pray that as you hear it, it will inevitably begin to come with some kind of action. God will say, this is what I'm telling you, which will lead to action. That action may be change within yourself, may be change in perspective. It may be branching out and doing something new that you haven't done before. It may have something to do with your own spiritual disciplines and formation in your own life. Time in in God's Word, time in prayer. I don't know what it will be, but there is almost always a time of action attached to God speaking because God wants to change us, constantly move us, not to make us different, but to make us His and to recapture that which we were originally created for. So as we're entering into this new year, especially in these next few weeks, I want to ask you to be here. Starting next week, we're going to do just a a short little mini-series that that is basically setting up all of those conversations I I just talked to you about. So I want to encourage you to be here. I want to encourage you to spend time asking God to speak to you. As you are asking God to speak to you, I believe He will. Now, maybe some of you have things on your heart and your mind that you need Him to speak to you about right now. Maybe you have things that are decisions you need to be made, difficult times that you need to get through. Don't just ask him to speak to you in one way. Just ask him to speak. One of the things that Balaam had that you and I don't have is that we didn't have God showing up and talking to us in what it appears to be a verbal, out of my lips into your ears. And so sometimes... We need to stop, and rather than asking God just to reveal to us all the deep mysteries of who He is, just somehow in our brains it just shows up, sometimes we have to go and we have to see what God has already told us. Because many times God speaks to us about our current situation based on what He has already said in Scripture. This is why you cannot follow Jesus and not spend time regularly in Scripture. It is impossible. It is impossible because what you will do, and I I know this because I've done it, what you will do is you will take what little biblical knowledge you have and you will wrap your own reason around why things ought to go in the way you already are thinking they should go. And you will not let God break in and change your mind. But what happens when you spend time in God's Word is God is always changing your mind. Now, that doesn't always sound good. You decide we're going on vacation to Florida, and then all of a sudden, nope, we're halfway there. We're going to go to the mountains now. That's not good because you probably don't need a swimsuit in the mountains, right? Maybe you do. 
We often view changing your mind as bad. When we talk about politicians, we say the worst politicians change their mind on everything. Right? Changing your mind is always a bad thing. But in Scripture, changing your mind is life. It's transformation. It's taking what is dead and making it alive, that which is old and making it new. And that's what Scripture does is it changes our mind. It changes the way we think. It changes the way we process what we're going through. It changes the way we see how God is working. So I would encourage you to ask God to speak to you. If you're not already in God's Word, get in it. version is a great tool for that. Some of you I, I've seen, you, you have taken me up on the goal of reading through Scripture in a year, doing the chronological study on version. I love it. I'm going through my second time through it now. I love it. But if that's not the thing you want to go through, go through a different study. There are all kinds of easy ways to read Scripture throughout your day, even when you're incredibly busy. As we enter a new year as a church, I hope you'll eagerly seek to hear from God so that you can share it with those around you. Because as we read earlier in 1 Peter 2.9, it is one of our primary jobs to declare the excellencies of the one who has brought us out of the darkness and brought us into his marvelous light. When he speaks to us, it is not just for us. The amazing thing about the church in the New Testament is that the church was a body made up of individuals, but one body. And so God spoke to individuals through the body. And when we hold back what God has told us, that we don't allow the rest of the members of the body to hear it. So moving forward, I would encourage you to focus your hearts and your minds and your activities on Him. And understand that God is not just waiting to see if you're serious enough. It's not like, you, I just got to do this. I got to prove that, you know, I'm serious about this so God will speak to me. That's not the way God works. That, that, that's not the way grace works. That's not the way mercy works. God wants to speak to you. He wants you to see. He wants to open your minds. He wants you to see all of the incredible things that are out there by knowing him. Last thing I want to share with you is a quote by Richard Rohr. He says, where our minds focus, there our treasure lies. So let me ask you, where is your mind focused today? Where do you constantly go? What is the constant thing that's on your mind? I I would dare say it is either on your treasure or it is on fear of losing that treasure. Those are likely where your mind is most of the time. If it's on God and He is our treasure, we're not so much worried about losing that. But when our minds are constantly, constantly on something that we're going to lose, then that is something that we have put in a place where God only should hold. Where our minds focus, there our treasure lies. So as we go forward... I'm excited about what's about to happen in our church. I don't know what it's going to look like because we are all part of this body. Part of the process is going to be throughout these interviews, we just want to hear from you. There's going to be conversations. What exactly is it that God is telling you? What is God saying to you about our community? And when do you most see God and feel God at work when you're a part of our community? Because those are the things we want to continue to replicate. 
as our, our teams come together, that means there's going to be lots of opportunities for us to have change in our church. It's possible that we won't change anything. I think that's highly unlikely because that's not really the way God works. But it is possible that we will change some things based on what God is telling us. One of the things we've tried to do in the past is we've tried to have programs that we thought were good and necessary and were kind of the main, this is what you know, a church needs to offer. And we've done whatever we could to make sure those things are offered. But if it's something that's not moving and we're not seeing God work in those areas, they need to go away. There may be some new areas of service that we need to develop. There may be some passions that you have on your heart that you would love to see our community minister in the community around us. And yet, the only thing holding us back from that is the manpower to make that happen. There are so many opportunities when the community comes together and says, I take ownership. This is, this is my family. This is my community. I am hearing for God, and He is moving me in this direction. Then the community goes in that direction. So we're going to see where this takes us. We're going to see what God is saying to us because I am absolutely, at this moment in my life as a follower of Jesus, I am absolutely convinced that we are not seeking dangerously to hear from God in a way that's going to change us. And yet that is where life is had. So I want to invite you on this journey with me, (laughs) no pun or maybe pun intended. Um, I do invite you to be with us over these next few weeks, and I do ask you to be focused on God in every area of your life that you can. If you're not in in God's Word every day, uh, don't beat yourself up. Don't say, I've got to read now, uh, you know, I've I've got to read the New Testament one weekend, the Old Testament the next weekend, or something like that. Have a realistic time that you can spend with Him, but in that time, Be able to meditate on what he is saying. Be able to pray through what you are reading. Be able to say, God, when I read this, this is what I think you're saying to me. Is this what you're saying to me? Because that means I'm going to have to change something. And if he tells you that, then change it. And an amazing thing happens. You realize you're walking with Christ in a way that is real and is experiential. Because as we've looked over these last few weeks, those believers in the early church it was real and it was experiential for them would you pray with me father god i thank you that you do call us to seek you and that not only can we seek you but we will find you and father i thank you that you have given us the hope that no matter what happens in this world that you are there with us for us Lord, I pray for all those that are in this room. If they are needing a word from you about a specific thing in your life, I pray that they would just be able to hear you. But God, I pray for all of us that we would open our hearts and open our minds and open our eyes and our ears so that we can hear and see you at work around us. I pray that you would continue to do amazing things in our lives. I pray that you would use us to change the city around us and that we would have the opportunity to speak life into broken people. I pray for those that are, that are among our midst and they, they come and, and yet they just don't feel that God is doing anything in their life, that they would experience you in a fresh and new way. Father, whenever we have made our agenda our priority, instead of knowing what you want, I, I pray that you would forgive us and that we would have the repentance of Balaam in our own lives to say, I am a sinner, I have sinned. 
and help us to fall on our face and to follow you because you are our true treasure. Let us declare your excellencies into the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.